you pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there anything here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. At this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been telling the apostles that their faith is too little. But how much faith does it take to say, move a mountain? Well, it must take a lot. It must take a lot. But Jesus says it takes a little. Well, are we talking quantity or quality? I think that's the issue we'll find out today on, on More Than, than Ink. I'm Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And this is More Than Ink, and we're sitting at our dining room table, but if you were with us last week, you remember that we were just on the mountain with Jesus when he was revealed, transfigured before them, and shone brighter than they could look at. And they heard the voice of the Father coming out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son. And he swore the the three guys not to say anything. That's right, and he told them, don't tell anybody. Until... Until I raise from the dead. Until the resurrection. So yeah. yeah so uh, I'm. This is like the pinnacle of the of the story of the the walking with the human, the son of man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he begins talking very specifically about his death. Yeah, so right. they're coming down the mountain, and um, and they come to and a there's crowd a crowd down at the bottom. At the right. bottom. Now remember, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up Just there. So that them. leaves the other nine guys at the bottom of the mountain, right. wondering what was going on up there. <laughs> well, and you know, they could have heard he was there and decided to come bring some people to heal, but he's not okay. around. And we don't know how long they were up there, but right, presumably right. it was long enough for a crowd to gather at the bottom. Yeah, itching, so itching to picking see. Picking up this story in Matthew 17. This is a very interesting. Um, interesting thing and we're going to read it from matthew 17 but mark's mark's gospel Mm -hmm. gives us Mm -hmm. so much more detail so after we read matthew's account then we're probably going to talk about about mark 9 absolutely (laughs) pretty complete let's do matthew first so we're at chapter 17 verse 14 why don't you read i will pick it up so and when they came to the crowd, this is the folks at the bottom at of the, the bottom hill, mountain, right? A man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples. But they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus <laughs> privately and said, So why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, well, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Oh, fascinating. Okay, so we have heard that moving mountains and faith like a green mustard seed in a lot of different places, and it gets kind of twisted and out of context. But let's talk about what was going on here at the bottom of the mountain, Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. Matthew's account is very spare. 
Mark. Yes. It's interesting that Mark devotes twice as much space to it in a it much is. shorter gospel. Because it's usually the other way around. Right. Yeah. So we find out in Mark 9, and I, we're not going to take time to read it, but I would encourage you listeners to go and read the mm-hmm, whole account mm-hmm. in Mark 9, starting in verse 14. Right, right. We find out that the crowd down there is arguing. The disciples yes. are arguing with the Jewish authorities, with the scribes and, and Pharisees. Yeah, and there's a lot of action going on. There's a lot on. going on yeah, because yeah. They, uh, they're asking, well, why why can't you cast it out, yeah, right? Yeah. So Jesus comes upon them. And we find out from the very beginning of Mark 9 that the father identifies it as a demon. Yes. He doesn't just say this boy falls into the right, fire and the right. water. He says the demon throws him yeah. into the fire. Yeah, and the, the father water. doesn't mention it in Matthew's account. No. He, the father just sounds like he's talking about seizures. All right. And it's yeah. also in Mark's account that we find out that this father says, Lord, I do believe. Help my Help unbelief. Help my unbelief. Very because famous. Because your guys couldn't do it. Yes. And I'm bringing him to you. Help my unbelief. That's such an honest statement. You're oh. right. You're right. My belief is kind of puny, but it's all I can muster. You're going to have to help me. So yeah. read those two accounts yeah. right next to each other. It's a, yeah, it's, a it's great, very helpful to have the yeah, additional Mark detail. Mark 9, 14 to 29. But the yeah. gist of it is the same mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Jesus' response is, Oh, faithless, twisted generation. How yeah. long are you going to have me with you? Right, right. Bring him here to me. Yep, yep. So in all this fracas at the bottom of the mountain, this this poor boy is still afflicted. Well, and Mark tells us when Jesus asks the father, how long has he been like this? The demon puts on a heck of a show. Yes. Right right there at the feet of Jesus, he throws the child into convulsions and Jesus just stands there. You got to go read that, man. That's really something (laughs) else. You know, how long has he been doing this? And, And he's giving the father opportunity to own his belief, his desire to believe, and yet his hesitancy to believe right 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 and it, you know it's natural for the apostles at that point to say we don't understand why we couldn't guess it right out. right we, we don't we just don't get it and then uh and matthew <laughs> invokes one of his favorite <laughs> phrases you know little faith in fact he uses, he uses a word for little faith that uh I think it's only used one other place, I think in Luke. I mean, it's it's actually a word that, that means puny faith. Puny. It's, it's a special word that was made up for this. And so, because the other gospels almost always specialize on, well, you know, you don't, you have no faith or where is your puny faith? Puny and weak, but, yeah, unable to do. But I, I had to go back and count it. This is the fifth time he, yeah. he uses this word, little faith. And uh, and so and then he and then he goes into this interesting mustard yeah. seed discussion about faith. It like, is interesting. Your faith is little, and so of course the question in their minds is, well, how much faith do we need to right. cast out something like this? So are they talking? You know, when we talk about little faith, are we talking about quantity or quality? Exactly. That's the question of the moment. Because we yeah. very often think we have to have we have to have this giant boatload of faith. Right. right. When Jesus says, now, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, well, what's that picture about? Yeah. Right? So yeah. a seed contains everything in reality to mm-hmm. produce the mature mm-hmm. plant. Right, right. But it's just the seed. It's just the seed. You got the seed, you got the plant. <clears throat> yeah, and it's not really the size of the seed that no. matters. Even though he's saying you have little faith. So so very clearly he's not saying it's not a quantity issue. No, it's a it's quality, a quality issue. issue. There's something wrong with your seed, basically. Yeah, that it's it's just not sprouting into what you want it to. And you know, that makes sort of sense because Regardless of how much faith we have, it's not our power that moves That's the mountain. Right. That's it's, right. It's not like if I had like faith is some kind of power juice. If I have more power juice, I can do powerful things. No, because the power is God. Isn't and that so, interesting? Because yeah. Jesus had said to the Father, you know, bring the child to me. Yeah. Which is the same thing he said to them when they came with the bread and the uh, the 
loaves and the fish, yeah. right? Bring it Bring here. Bring it to me. Yeah. I'll do the yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is the one who does this. So our faith is actually, when it's puny, it's puny because we misunderstand or we underestimate we what, what, faith is. what Jesus can do. Right. Can Jesus do this? Or That's we think it depends, on the, it depends on our faith. Right. It doesn't right, depend right, on right. our faith at all. Right, right. And if you, if you go back to the two cases we've already see, seen of the exemplary faith, the, the centurion and also the woman right. up on the, the Lebanese coast up there, you know, what they demonstrated in their really quick discussions with Jesus is they understood and embraced who he who was. He and is. they just had no doubts that he was capable right. of this. And because of his compassion, he would do this. Here, they're not really that sure of Jesus. And so that's why their faith is the quality of it is poor. And it's mm. not a quantity, it's a quality. So he says, you know, if the quality is good, all you need is just a little pinch. <laughs> right. Because it's all about me. So what is faith? Right. Because that's really we live in a culture when that's so mixed up about faith. I think faith yeah, is a feeling. Yeah. Right. Right? They, right. This this is not a feeling. This is an ability to look past the surface chaos to where to what yeah. is the unseen reality. Right. That's what what Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says. Now, faith mm-hmm. is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? Yeah. It's, it's faith sees the promises of God as certain because God has right, said it. Right. And sees the presence of God is here and now. Right. And so you embrace that aspect of God himself. Right. He's able. You don't embrace your power. Right. Or what I want to accomplish. Or what I want if to I have accomplish. enough might and pray right. hard enough, I can yeah. make it happen. And I've seen people say that. Say, I'm, you know, I'm going to do a great thing because I have enough faith to make it happen. I have enough faith to speak it into existence or something like that. As though the faith itself decoupled from the power of God right. to do it. No, it's God who does these things. And so, so faith is only as good as what it's placed in. Exactly. Right? The object and if of my faith. faith is in my faith. Right. Rather right. than in the power of God. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. People uh, oftentimes have faith in their we faith. Have faith in our faith. Yeah, and that's not right at all. And that no, Jesus yeah. said, believe in me. So right? when so when mighty things happen from a flawed human perspective, we'll look at that mighty thing and say, Wow, that person has a lot of faith. When what we should be saying is, Well, God is capable and compassionate on our behalf for good. We should praise his power there, not the faith of the person necessarily. So what's interesting is that Jesus, prior to this, had given them authority and sent them out to cast out demons. Yeah. So they had cast out demons before. Yeah, this is an old story. So, yeah. But this is something new. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he says, <laughs> if you have this teeny-weeny little bit of seed of the real understanding of faith you'll say to this mountain move and it'll move and nothing will be impossible for you yeah because when you when you look past the surface uh, or in your ability your faith in your own faith to see the reality of what god is actually doing in the unseen realm that's more concrete than what you can see and touch and feel with your senses yeah yeah when you get a bead on that nothing will stand in the way right because you'll see what god is already doing i wonder if it connects to what he'd said to peter right you about the binding and the loosing that we talked about a couple oh, yeah, weeks ago yeah. that you when you are functioning in the spirit according to faith you will have a genuine grasp on what god has yeah. said and done and is yeah. doing and intends to do and right. so you will be affirming that and participating and even in, in that in his power in this situation yes. yeah, yeah yeah and i and i often point out since faith is our trust in god himself the object's important right that if you don't really understand god's character yes you really won't have a 
you won't have a basis for your right. faith. So at that point, we're just talking about wishful thinking, you know. Right. And that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about faith. It's not wishful thinking. We're, we're talking about the rock-solid uh, attributes and character of God. Is he, is he good for his word? Is he faithful in his love toward us? All those right. kinds of things you know about. So, listeners, the, the real deal is if you want to improve your faith, <laughs> you need to improve your understanding of who God is. And then embrace them all the more because of that. That's well, not that's just really your understanding, but your heart yeah. toward God, your heart relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I want to read you. This is I've wrestled for this definition of faith over the last couple of years. Faith, and this, so this is my own my own definition right, personally. Right, right. Faith is a life altering condition of mind and heart, a settled confidence in the invisible reality of God's promises that's mm-hmm. rooted in His character and faithfulness. Yes. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. That's key. That's really key. So if you don't know God, you won't have faith. That's just the way it is. It's just wishful thinking. Well, you won't have a biblical faith. No, you'll just have wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we call in the secular word a, a, a blind faith. It's a faith right. that is not informed. Okay, that's important because yeah, yeah. we live in the midst of a religion that talks about blind faith. Oh, right, just if right. you believe it hard enough. Yep. But the scripture never is asking no. blind faith. It's no. always faith based on evidence of the character of God. It's always an informed faith in terms of who God is. Okay, no, well, we let's, press on. let's move on. <laughs> Actually, we're going to move to verse 22. We're going to skip verse 21. <laughs> if it, so I might just explain this really quickly. Uh, if you have a modern translation, we're using a modern translation with the ESV, often they leave out verse 21, right. which you'll find in King James and the New King James and some other translations. And the reason for that, don't get too freaked out by it, the reason for that is that out of the host of different old copies we have of the Greek New Testaments, the oldest ones don't have verse 21, but then, but ones that are later after that, it looks like someone has inserted verse 21. Which says, this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. Exactly. So it's not a really big deal. But if you're wondering why we're skipping from 20 and going to 22, that's why. Because eh, 21, in fact, some translations, modern translations, will include it and maybe put a bracket around it and then put a footnote at the bottom and say, yeah, you know, this doesn't yeah, show that's up. That's the case in with the New oldest. American Standard. Yeah. Just so don't let, that, don't let that undermine your confidence in the Bible. It's just, um, it's there and it's not a big deal. Okay, we got to press on. 22. Am I reading? You're reading. I will read. Okay, As read. they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Well, we've heard this <laughs> okay, before. we got to pause here for a minute. Because, <laughs> oh, here we go again. Here He's we go again. emphasizing to them, the Son of Man, the, the sent one in his humanity, is going to be killed, but raised on the third day. Why were they greatly distressed? Because he was still talking about dying, could be, or or was it because they they were distressed because he wouldn't be derailed from that? Uh, they just didn't see it. They didn't comprehend the necessity of his death. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Matthew's already said that it, 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 around this section of the scriptures, Jesus has set his face to go down to Jerusalem, right. which looks like a deliberate kind of suicide mission. Right. Because it says in 22, as, as they were gathering in Galilee, they're still up there. They're getting right. ready to they're go down. They're getting ready to go. I think just the, the imminent trip down there is really starting to get to them. 
I mean, this is really distressing. Jesus is deliberately going to walk into this bee's nest. Into the hornet's nest. Yeah, yeah, this is just crazy stuff. I might mention, too, in passing, this this phrase, son of man, we've talked about this before. It, it uh, it's, it's the most popular phrase that Matthew and Luke both use to mm-hmm. refer to Jesus, and even Jesus himself as the son of man. And, um, you know, we, we know it comes from Daniel 7. You know, there's a, right. there's, a, there's a very messianic, powerful thing that happens in Daniel 7, 13, and he's called the son of man. But in a more common sense, it just means a man who is divine, someone who is human who is divine and uh because even in daniel it says someone like the son of man man. so so it really emphasizes in that one phrase it it doubly emphasizes not only the divinity of christ himself but also his humanity Humanity. so both god both man so when you see son of man think of both god and man not just a man so that's what we're looking at It, it it uh i was curious it shows up 28 times in matthew so it's a it's a pretty popular phrase okay Okay, we got to press on Let's because press on. this is a strange 24, thing here. 24. Verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Yeah, whoa. And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, <laughs> Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? Yeah. From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Mm. However, not to give offense to them, Go to the sea and cast in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Hey, hey, what? hey, 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 yeah. Okay, we can't spend a lot of time here because no. we got a whole lot. No, but a couple, a couple of points. This is not, this is not a Roman tax. This is the temple right, tax. So right. this is to support what goes on in the temple, and uh, and so that what we're, that's what we're talking about right here. So it's not an issue about Rome at all. But then the question is, doesn't your doesn't your teacher pay tax? I mean, if you're if you're an Israelite, if you're a Jew, you pay the tax. And he says, yes. Yeah. Well, what were they doing up in Capernaum asking for the tax? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I looked into that and I found out this is a tax that's usually collected during Passover. Once when a year. they all have to go. When they all have so to go. So you would pay it right. when you go to Jerusalem. But in some of the farther outlying regions, many times they would start collecting it a month ahead of time. So it, it's, it helps us our timeline here. We know that we're a month away from the crucifixion when we look at this. But what's interesting is when Jesus says to Simon, it's a nice testing thing, you know, when the kings of the earth take a toll or tax, you know, from the sons or from others. And and of course, when the king taxes, he doesn't tax his own sons. That's right. <laughs> and what we're talking about is a temple tax. Right. Ah, so what he's, you remember when Jesus was left behind, well, he stayed behind when he was 12, he says, I have to be about, about my, father's, my father's business. Right, and in my father's right. house. So what Jesus is saying quite literally is, this is a tax to support my father's house, and I'm a son right. of the father. Doesn't that exempt me? It's an interesting right. theological question, you know. And then the sons are free, he says in 26. So, you know, it doesn't apply to me because I'm a son of the guy who owns the house. But he, but he says, so we won't offend them. But let's not ruffle feathers. Remember, it was Peter who said earlier in the <laughs> yeah. in the gospel, don't you know, Lord, that you offended him? You offended them, right? <laughs> So I wonder if it's kind of a, it's yeah. a wink, wink. It's, it, it's, it really is. It's a nice <laughs> wink, wink thing. And then he solves it instead of turning to, to uh, Judas, who has the has bag the money of money. Bag. Yeah. He says, you know, why don't you go out and get a fish? And not with a net like you normally do. Take one of those lowly little hooks yeah, and go this, get a single this is fish. Apparently, just between Jesus and Peter. Uh, exactly. Right? This is not exactly. a, a all disciples conversation. No, no. Go out and, and snag yourself a single fish. 
Pull it up and look in its mouth and you'll find a shekel in there. Okay, Peter was a fisherman. Do you think he had ever found a shekel in the mouth of a fish yeah, before? I don't think so. I doubt it. And, and I <laughs> doubt he ever used a hook very much. Well, that's true. He was, he was a net, net fisherman. Net, yeah. So it's actually a little humiliating to, to do this. But it also narrows it down to you're only going to catch one fish on this hook. And when you catch that one fish, open it up, boom, and there you'll find it. So it's a nice way for Jesus to answer the, the religious leaders who are looking for the temple tax. I'll do a little pizzazz. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he ever did anything just for pizzazz. I think he's, well, he he's didn't waste, saying something He to didn't Peter. waste the moment at all either. It's he, true. He didn't it's waste true. it. That's what I'm saying. He could have just pulled it out of Judas's bag, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He does it this way. Yeah. Well, but, I don't want to linger here. No, I, I don't I, either. Let's go on. because We it, really need to There's go an on. important thing that happens before we finish it. Let me read. For chapter 18, we're going into verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, oh, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. <laughs> this is one of the most violent things Jesus ever mentions, and it's about children. It's about respecting and honoring and not leading them into sin. Well, and the question was, who's the greatest? Who is the greatest? Right? And that's so the point here. The, you know, in the other Gospels, we get it again and again. They're jockeying for position. Yeah, kingdom, right, right. Right. Unless yeah. you turn, turn, right, change your course and yes. become like children. It's not about pursuing position. Right, right, right. It's about recognizing your children. Yep. Whoever humbles himself like this child. Hmm. Yep. I heard an interesting definition for humility just a few weeks ago, and it was, and I've been contemplating it ever since. This woman said, uh, humility is disappearing into the holiness of God. Yeah, yeah. Not about me. It's about him. Yeah. The kingdom is not about my position. The kingdom is about the king. Yep. John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must right. increase. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I must so, decrease. you know, earlier Jesus had said, you know, if you want to follow me, come after me, deny yourself, mm -hmm. right? Turn from self-interest. Yep to the king's interest. Yeah. So this is kind of a further further understanding of what that means. Yeah, and a child is such a good picture too. More than a picture, it's the reality. The reality. It's the reality because uh, again, you know, in John's gospel, the opening, it says we can become right. children of God. And that's a, that's a theme all the way through. And even when he writes his first letter, and in First John three, he says, "You know, look, look at what kind of love that we experience. We are called the children, children of, of God, God, and so we are. So the the idea of being children in the kingdom is central to our identity. So what he's saying is, you want to be great, you need to go back to the central part of our identity. Our identity is as children, dependent with a with a, an eternal father. If you have a father in heaven, then you're children." So don't diss the children. That's what you need to be. Okay, and you belong in the family if yeah. you're children. You have the identity of your father. Right. And you are dependent, as you just said. That's probably the chief characteristic of children. Right? Exactly. Even when you go to pay your taxes, you yep. have to number your dependents. Right, right. <laughs> and here the apostles are getting close to Jesus, declaring himself publicly as the Messiah. And if they're still harboring any ideas that this is going to be right. a big 
big deal and that they're going to be part of the big deal, right? Like a president gets elected and he puts his cabinet members together. I want to be a cabinet member with yeah. Jesus. It's not going to happen. You got to be a child. You got to be a child. You still don't understand the kingdom because you don't right. understand the king. Yep. Yep. Right. The life in the kingdom is determined by the character of the king. Yep. And I've always said that our, when we talk about our identities, our confused identities, especially in these modern times, biblically, our, our first and best identity is as a child. Mm. And it's enduring because we never, we never lose our relationship with our father. You never outgrow being the child of your parent. <laughs> exactly. That's, and that's really true with a heavenly father as well. So our primary identity is children. So, so don't think about being great. You know, it's just adults who are so concerned about social status. Kids are not. They'll say, you know, as long as I'm your child, that's enough for me. And that's what he's, that's why he's saying it's, this is just a really big deal. And that's why at the end of this section, you know, you violate or cause one of these to sin. This is a really mm, big deal mm-hmm. because what I'm, what I'm hoping that your hearts and your identity fixes on for the rest of your life is as a child. And if you offend a child, woe unto you. Well, okay, I want to just zero in on that for a minute because the ESV translates that word as sin. But it's Mm -hmm. the same word that Jesus had used when he turned to Peter and said, you are an impediment to me. You are a stumbling block to me. That's right. Right? You have have placed a a snare in front of me to to cause me to act in my own interest instead of... You're getting, you're getting in the way. You're getting in the way. Yeah. Or yeah. to cause a child or a little one to desert or to distrust yeah. their Heavenly yeah. Father. Yeah. So that puts a, a whole different, uh, a very sensitive and tender uh, flavor uh, on this word. Yeah, yeah. And I think as adults, we, we think we've arrived and we look down on children as actually not quite all there. Well, they certainly did at that time. Yeah. Children had not proven themselves yet. Exactly. Right? They had to and, be old enough to earn or to produce. And in another circumstance, you know, the apostles tried to shoo them away. That's right. And Jesus right. says, hey, 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 hey. Actually, we're going to no. get to that in right. the next chapter. Right. <laughs> so, so, so don't diss the children because that's what I want you to be. I need you to turn from what you are and become a child because you will always be a child of the Father. You know, look at the kind of love that we're experiencing, John says, that we are called the children of God. You need to embrace that and don't diss it. That's mm. who you are. Well, yeah, gosh, this really happens, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesus is continuing to turn his face to going down to Jerusalem. And we, and we establish that we're about a month out from Passover. And so the events are going to speed up as the heat rises. But he's driving home, and we're going to revisit children again in in chapter 18. He's driving home the humility of being a child of God. Right. Not social standing, not anything like that. It's just the fact that you are a child of the Father, and you need to celebrate and embrace that. So, I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. Come back next time on More Than Ink, and we'll continue the conversation as Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem on... More than ink. There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, morethaninc.org. And while you are there, take a moment to drop us a note. Remember, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink. There we go. There we go. There we go. This has been a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City.